This is The Thomas Guide, your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas, political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is The Thomas Guide with your host, John Thomas. President Trump is on the verge of impeachment and Elizabeth Warren walks back her Medicare for All plan and calls it a choice. That and more on this episode of The Thomas Guide. So when you're going to be listening to this in the morning, the Democrats will be holding a vote at 9 a.m. Eastern on whether or not to impeach Donald Trump in the House of Representatives. I'll save you the suspense. It's going to happen. They have the votes. This is, uh, there's no drama here. We know exactly what's going to happen. We've known this not just for the last few months, but we've known this since Trump was elected. And why? Because the Democrats have been projecting that they, the only way to beat Trump is to physically remove him from office via impeachment. So uh, it's disappointing, but in an odd way, it actually is, uh, it probably helps Trump at the end of the day, because as I've discussed on the podcast, public opinion hasn't budged really in either direction. If you thought you didn't like this president and that he should be impeached, you thought that from moment one. If you thought that this was a witch hunt or a Russian collusion 2.0 or whatever you want to call it, you have thought that from moment one. So Adam Schiff's clown show and Nancy Pelosi's um, feigning disappointment has not budged public opinion truly in either direction. It's just amped up tensions going into 2020. And the real impact of impeachment, I think, is simply that it's given Trump an opportunity to continue to show growth on the economy and taken Democrats off message on something that voters truly care about. Because no reputable pollster will tell you otherwise. Impeachment is not a top three issue with general election voters. It's not, it's, it's not even a top five issue for your average swing voter. And generally speaking, the party or opponent that is most painting lead on the target of where meeting the voters where they're at, not convincing them, not persuading them to care about something, but meeting them where they're at typically wins. And generally speaking, when it comes to issues of the presidency, the economy is a top three issue, if not the number one. And Democrats haven't spoken to that. They haven't spoken about health care. I think Pelosi thinks with USMCA caving at the last moment that she's going to be giving families as they go home and reflect on the year with their family and in Christmas time that they're going to be thinking about, oh, the Democrats delivered USMCA. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Trump takes credit for that. I think it just puts the economy into even higher drive as we go into 2020. And by and large, Democrats are going to look back and say, this was a waste of time. In fact, it cost many of our vulnerable House seats their seat. Seats that flipped in the midterms that Trump handily carried, it cost them their seat, like Anthony Brindisian in Upper New York's uh, 22nd District. He's a goner. He won, his, he won his seat by one point. 
in 18. This is a district that Trump carried in 2016 by more than 16 points. Bye-bye, Anthony. You voted for, you're voting for impeachment. You voted for the impeachment inquiry. It's lights out. Now, why did a guy like that, knowing those dynamics, vote for impeachment? He had no choice. He's one, probably worried, they're worried about a primary challenge from the left. So if they don't open an inquiry and vote for impeachment, they're going to get primaried. And the other is, they figure they're going to get tattooed no matter what, because it's a tough seat and the, the environment is tough and they need Nancy's money and air support. They need her millions and millions of dollars of which she will choke them out if they don't vote the way she wants them to vote. So they really had no choice. They're damned if they do. They're damned if they don't. I think it's going to cost a lot of them their seats. So that's happening. They're going to vote for impeachment. Then it goes to McConnell's desk in the Senate. I'll save everybody the suspense. He's not going to be convicted and removed. In fact, he's going to be exonerated. McConnell's left the schedule for January pretty open. So we still don't know exactly how that's all going to shape up. But I can tell you, just like the Democrats were in control of the rules in the House, well, the Republicans are now in control of the rules in the Senate. So you're likely to see a favorable structure for the Republicans to make their argument to either kill it and exonerate him or call the witnesses and portray the kind of case and tell the story that they want to portray. The spoils go to the victor, and in this case, the Senate is controlled by Republicans. Now, I'll save you some more suspense. Cable news is going to be whipping up Will Romney and, and Rand Paul and others break against the president and vote to convict and remove. I will save you trouble on that. I don't believe so. In fact, I think it's more likely than not that not a single Republican defects, not, not Susan Collins, not, not Mitt Romney. I think they all stand behind the president because they know that this is absolute BS. Um, and also there's no hope. They're not like a swing vote. They know there's no hope if they stick their neck out in the line politically. For what? They're not going to remove this president single-handedly. So I think that they all stand behind the president. And if you're in a tough seat, uh, like Senator Collins, who's worried about her reelect, I think she basically justifies, well, again, it's you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, in the sense of politically Trump's underwater in, believe Maine, where Collins is from. But she's hoping that this stuff is so far in the rearview mirror as we go into 2020, that she needs the Trump base to turn out for her. She also needs to make sure that the money comes in terms of air support to help her. She needs resources to tell the, the entirety of her story as she goes into 2020. So I think she doesn't, I think she votes to exonerate. I think that's exactly where she goes. So anyway, disappointing. Government's wasted. Democrats have wasted millions and millions of dollars. Tons of time. Shut down the government, essentially. So nothing, by and large, has, gets done all so that they could score some cheap political points, which I think at the end of the day will be very short-sighted and cost them more than they get. All right, Elizabeth Warren, this struck me. She's on a bus tour in Iowa. She's working Iowa. Remember, she's in a slump. She's slipping in third or fourth place, depending upon the poll. She was in the mid-20s, high-20s on average, and now she's in the mid-teens, the low-teens. That ain't good. She has a little bit of time to recover, but not much. You can see that she's sweating because she's now changed her rhetoric during this three-day bus tour in Iowa 
she's increasingly stressed the word choice in her interactions with voters when she talks about her Medicare for All plan, saying the three-year implementation period will let Americans keep their existing coverage or try out Medicare for All. And she said, quote, we're going to push through health care that's available to everyone. You don't have to, but it's your choice. If you want to come in and get full health coverage, it's your choice. That is a very telling statement because she's been filleted not only over the cost of Medicare for all, but here's the dirty little secret. While most people think the healthcare system is by and large broken and needs fixing, most voters either like their personal doctor, may hate insurance companies, don't like something about the system, but they like the choices they have. Um, they don't want to give up the coverage plan that they have. If you're a member of a union, you might have a damn good insurance plan at a really good rate. You don't want to lose that to be forced to use government health care. So it's been backfiring on Elizabeth. She's going to try to, this is a, this is exactly what Joe Biden and Buttigieg have been saying. Uh, Buttigieg coined the phrase Medicare for all who want it, right? That's basically Medicare for all. Uh, it's, it's, it's providing a public option. The problem with all of this is it still increased costs. It's not going to fix our healthcare system. And eventually you're going to push more people. I mean, come on, we're headed towards socialized medicine under that plan, but it sounds nice on a bumper sticker. Now, why are the word choice or for all who want it, why does that work? Because I was looking at some polling and found that 66% of Democrat primary voters like the idea of Medicare for all, but don't want to be forced into it. So they basically want to see how it plays out. And then if they choose to, they can cross into socialized medicine or a public option, but they don't want to be told by the government they have to. So this is Warren's shift on an issue. We'll see if it sticks. Like I said, she's got time to recover, but I think it, the, the window is getting narrower and more narrow. We'll see at the debate at LMU, the presidential debate at LMU on Thursday night, we'll see if she's asked about that pivot and how she justifies it and then how the spin room handles it afterward, if they embrace it or if they just say you're flip-flopping. So we'll see. But this is a significant shift. And of course, don't forget, I'm going to watch the debate tomorrow. I'm going to be tweeting during most of the debate at the Thomas Guide on Twitter. And then I'm going to post a podcast with post-debate reaction. So fear not. You're going to, if you care to hear my hot takes, oh, I will have hot takes. I will suffer through these, these debates because quite frankly, at this point, they're getting pretty damn tedious. But for guys like me, I'm still interested. Well, I lose interest about halfway, but I suffer for you so that you don't have to. And I'll tell you my hot takes and what actually happened and what matters. And then, of course, what the consequences are of the debates. Last thing I'm watching for today is there's a new organization known as the Lincoln Project. It is a super PAC by the, put together by the last dying breaths of the Never Trump movement, if that's what you want to call it. I'm not sure it's a movement because I think it's about five people <laughs> left, but it's, they put together, basically, the people who are doing this are, Steve Schmidt, who was a former advisor to John McCain, and he's a bomb thrower 
on MSNBC. He, I believe Steve has left the party. He was working with uh, Howard Schultz, the, the Starbucks CEO, who was briefly, you remember the billionaire who was briefly running for president. I heard that, uh, that Steve got an upfront check of $5 million just to start. And then he was going to make another 10 or 20 million on the deal. But uh, I don't, Schultz kind of disappeared. It's in fact, he snuck away. It was kind of interesting. But anyway, Steve, uh, uh, Steve Schmidt, uh, former Ohio, Ohio governor, John Kasich. Uh, uh, actually, no, it's not John Kasich. It's his advisor and another John McCain alum, John Weaver, who is very, um, well, how do I put it politely? Uh, infamous, I suppose. Uh, you can Google it if you want to hear all the uh, the ins and outs. John switched to be a Democrat because he got run out of the Republican Party a number of years ago. Then he came back because he got to work for John Kasich in 2016. And he trashed, he backed himself into a corner trashing Trump. And now he's basically unemployable. So he ended up working for a bunch of, uh, basically it appears allegedly to be illegally lobbying, uh, not illegally, to be lobbying didn't do it illegally to be lobbying for, I believe it was Russian like oil interests. Um, and he got caught in a gotcha moment for something he said that he'd never do. And then in fact he did, he was taking like 600,000 bucks up front from this oil company. Then he got kicked off by the oil company, uh, didn't make that money. So he's unemployable in the Trump world. And the former New Hampshire GOP chair, Jennifer Horn, don't know the hell that is, and a uh, Republican strategist named Rick Wilson, um, and George Conway, who's a private attorney, and you may know his name because he is the husband of Kellyanne Conway, who is the chief counselor to President Trump. Now, I got to tell you, this motley crew of folks they say they have a million bucks in commitment and they're going to stop Donald Trump from getting elected and they're going to hurt him with the GOP base. Okay, please. Nine out of 10 Republicans nationwide strongly support Donald Trump. That is a higher approval rating than Ronald Reagan. You're not going to stop him with a Republican base and, and, and you're not going to raise any meaningful amount of money. And if you did, it's pure grift because you're not going to move the needle. Republicans not just like this president, they love him. But they're all getting together because I think they're tired of bitching about it on cable television. They're still going to do that. But now they're going to try to make some money off of it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the consultants, I almost can see, all right, do what you're going to do. But George Conway really pisses me off because he, his wife is essentially like the number two to Donald Trump. It's not about your disdain for Donald Trump. It's about you undermining your wife. It's undermining what she's dedicated the last several years of her life to. That's what's so despicable. George, if you can't stand the president, good for you. Keep it to yourself. Don't tweet about it. Don't join a super PAC to undermine your wife's work. I just find that absolutely despicable. I'm not saying that spouses have to see 100% eye to eye, but the second a spouse undermines the other spouse publicly, to me, that's grounds, immediate grounds for divorce. 
I'm not sure exactly what's happening. All I can figure is they must be sticking together for the young kids. That's all I can figure. Pretty unbelievable. <laughs> oh boy. Well, don't worry about that super pack. It's not going to move the needle. But every time I see George Conway pop up, I go, number one, why do we care? Who cares about George Conway? And then I go, and then I feel badly for Kellyanne. It's just not right. So that's been today's episode of the Thomas Guide. I hope you enjoyed. If you're going to watch the debate, of course, you can live tweet me. Don't miss my post, late night post debate analysis. You can tweet me at the Thomas Guide anytime, day or night. If you have questions, go to my Facebook, John Thomas Political Strategist, or theteaguide.com. Or you can email me at podcast at theteaguide.com. And if you like this show, share it with a friend. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you tomorrow on another episode of The Thomas Guide.